All right, we need to tell everybody how we can make this the best summer ever. Here's what we're talking about. Skip your June and your July house payment. You're done until August 1st. Now come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. I am routinely helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. But once you're saving that money, what do you do with it? Sure, you can stick it in your pocket, but what if you applied it to the principal of your home and paid it off faster? We've helped more families get out of debt faster than they ever thought possible. And here's what I mean. Most of us go through life just having our bank account drafted every single month for our single biggest bill. We get used to living without that money. Really think about this. How old will you be when you pay your house off? If you don't know the answer, you probably haven't done enough planning. I want to show you how to pay your house off before your kids go to college. Maybe then they won't have to be saddled with student loans. I want to show you how to pay your house off before you hope to retire. You have to ask yourself, am I on the retire at 62, retire at 65 or work forever plan? If you keep refinancing over and over into a brand new 30 year loan, you're never going to pay your house off. And sadly, that's the reason we see seniors continue to work well into their seventies and even the eighties. You don't have to do that, but why are they doing it? Well, it's not because they have a Lexus payment to make. It's because they have a house payment to make. That's really what we're talking about. Peace of mind. And if you want to get the right peace of mind that, you know, I'm getting out of debt faster. I'm saving as much money as possible. And I'm being a good steward with this money, not just for myself, but for my family. That's what we're all about at first family mortgage. And I can show you how easy it is right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket, but if you've got credit card debt, you can get rid of it just like that. It's a waste of resources for you to continue to throw money away at 18, 20, 30% interest. You know, that's true. Why not get a better rate and a greater tax deduction, but most importantly, take that monthly payment savings and use it to get out of debt faster and really think about how much money that is. Think about what your monthly payment is. You know, it's a penny. Now multiply it by 120. If we show you how to cut 10 years off of your loan, that is a gargantuan amount of money you're going to save. That if you just continue to do what you've been doing, you'll work for, pay taxes on, and then just give it away. Don't do that. Keep more of your own money. Let's get out of debt. Let's get a real plan together. And I can show you how easy it is right now. Interest rates are at an all-time low. And I know you've probably seen or heard that some of the big banks are now requiring 750 credit scores and 20% down. That's not the case. I'm helping families in more than 40 states with credit scores in the 500s pay their house off faster. And by the way, we're not talking about subprime loans. These are Fannie Mae, these are Freddie Mac, these are government loans, interest rates in the twos, threes, and fours. None of the crazy stuff maybe you heard about a decade ago. That's not what we're doing at SaveWithConrad.com. What we are doing is showing you how to keep more of your own money. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, did I mention no house payments for two months? Make this the best summer ever and hit the reset button on your financial future at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. Of course, you were probably expecting a little Grillin' JR content. That will be here tomorrow. But first, we wanted to talk about the tremendous new series that we've all enjoyed now for two complete seasons on Vice. Of course, we're talking about Dark Side of the Ring, and joining us today, as always, the creators of that show, Evan and Jason. Jason, how are you, man? 
I'm doing good. How are you doing? Man, I'm excited with what you guys have put together. The Owen Hart special was last night, Evan, and I got to tell you, man, this uh, this may have been the most emotional dark side of the ring so far. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I was sitting back watching it live on TV last night. I've seen this thing a hundred times in every iteration of its edit. And uh, even then, uh, it still got to me. You know, it still got me um, during uh, some of those really highly emotional moments. It's such a sad, devastating, and just aggravating story. Yeah, I got to say, too, same thing. Like, we've been living in this story, like, all year, pretty much. And just with, you know, the tone of the rest of the, rest of the show, we're just kind of living in this tone. And last night, I was just, like, watching. I was skimming through, actually, YouTube and just watching people's live reactions to the show. And I could just, I couldn't see what they were seeing, but I could hear the show. And I just, I know it so well from like editing it, but just seeing their reactions to it, I realized like, oh my God, like this is, you know, it's so much more powerful and such an intense story. Um, It's just every time I see it or get a chance to see it, like through someone else's eyes, it's really uh, someone else's eyes is really eye opening. Evan, talk to us a little bit about how this became a topic you wanted to cover. You know, I'm always fascinated with you guys process of, you know, <clears throat> a certain number of episodes have been quote unquote ordered. And we know that we've got a budget for this and we've got time for that. How did you decide on Owen? And, and more importantly, how in the world, I guess this is a two part question. Did you get Martha to approve? Because the narrative on Martha, I feel like is, is very much changed. Uh, mm. I don't, I, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later, but the mm. thing that really stood out to me is the way most wrestling fans sort of perceived Martha maybe a week ago with maybe how they feel differently towards her today. And we'll, we'll table that piece of the conversation yeah. for later, but at least for now, mm. a, when was it on your radar? I'd like to do this topic and B how in the world did you get Martha to agree? <clears throat> well, um, you know, this story is, you know, I mean, I, I was watching the over the edge pay-per-view when it happened back in 1999. Um, and you know, I, I just, I, I remember all the feelings I was going through at the time. And then I definitely remember school the next day and, you know, being, being there in recess and talking with everybody and mourning that, I mean, it was a, it was a huge deal, uh, to me as a kid. And I always looked up to Owen Hart because my dad's name is Owen. And so he, you know, Owen Hart was the only other Owen that I had ever known, and um, so that was a really profoundly affecting uh, thing for me as a kid. And, you know, flash forward to making this TV show, um, you know, once we kind of settled on the name Dark Side of the Ring and figured out that this was these were the kind of stories we were going to be telling, you know, it's hard to ignore that, you know, the Owen Hart story doesn't fit into that, mm-hmm. you know, mold. Um, and, you know, it was, I think, around season two when that was finishing – Right around when, or sorry, I'm sorry, when season one was finishing its run on television, that was around the time of the 20th anniversary of Owen Hart's death. Right. Because it was right around May of last year. And um, <clears throat> I, I have to be honest, up until, even though that Owen's death affected me so much as a kid, all the way up until around that 20th anniversary time period, I my knowledge of what took place that night on May 23rd, 1999 was 
pretty much what the narr- like the like the w if you want to call it the WWE narrative or like whatever the narrative like the most like popular narrative has been, which is that this is just a freak accident. You know, the, this this whole thing that happened, it was just this 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 fluke thing, and it was a tragedy, and you know, and and that was kind of the way that I had had what I had known about it. Um, but it wasn't really until the the uh, 20th anniversary of his death where you know journalists were going back and relooking at the case and you know taking taking things from Martha's book and there was a phenomenal I have to give a shout out to this because it was phenomenal uh, radio documentary p- uh, put together by the post wrestling guys they did a thing called uh, I think Owen's last day Owen's final day and um, <clears throat> that was just so eye opening to me because I I really feel like unless you were an extremely hardcore wrestling fan or like you read the dirt sheets or you picked up Martha's book and you read it, you probably like weren't familiar with the, the nuances of what really happened going into the, that botched stunt and everything that led up to it. So it was just around last year, two things. One was, we asked people on social media, hey, what episodes, what stories do you want us to cover? And Owen Hart was, you know, was, a, was, was uh, I think, right up at the top of the list. It was neck and neck with the Chris Benoit story. And then, and I actually remember feeling at the time, well, like, how are we going to do this? Like, you know, typically when we do these stories, we don't like to just, you know, open old wounds. You know, we want to try and find some sort of you know, other angle, other perspective that, you know, we can, we can share. And with this story, as I was reading these anniversary articles and listening to these podcasts and, and, and yours, Conrad, you did an amazing podcast with Jim Ross, where he was kind of going back and you guys were reading from Martha's book. And that was really the first time I had heard, you know, passages from her book. And then I, of course, bought it. That was very yeah, and then it was kind of like, oh my God, there is a whole other side of this story, which is completely way out of the mainstream, um, which is the story of, you know, negligence and like gross negligence and and also just this really like every and, and all the nasty details of the aftermath and everything and how callous the industry is. It's a really you know d- disturbing, horrible, emotional story. And, um, and, and that was kind of, and then after hearing that and then pairing, you know, with what the kind of average wrestling fans viewpoint is of Owen Hart in the hall of fame and, and, and some of the other fans who even have this kind of vitriol for, for Martha and this, for, for, for whatever reason and, and, and combining the, the, that like to be able to show a completely different perspective and to see how people have looked at this story 20 years later um and it was really kind of a motivating force like for me this this whole time was like people need to know kind of what really happened because i don't think there's a lot of people like me including myself at the time who really didn't know it's um it's really remarkable what you guys put together but you couldn't really tell the story without martha i mean i suppose you could but to me, what you guys have done the best is really show sort of two sides of thing. You know, uh, what we're seeing on TV, you know, what happens in the, in the realm of the wrestling world versus the real person and who better to really talk about that than his wife. Um, Jason, how did you guys get Martha on board? Was this a difficult process? Did you guys have, 
you know, we've often heard the old game of six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon or whatever. And <laughs> what, what, how did you get to Martha and, and what was her appetite for doing something like this? Well, right off the top, we, we knew there was this going to be, there was no way we were going to be able to do the episode without her cooperation and, and, and her perspective. So, you know, we, we, it was our, our best hopes that we hoped we were going to do the episode, but there, we knew there was a big chance that, you know, it possibly couldn't happen if she didn't want to take part in it. Um, so Evan, I believe you, you first reached out and, um, wrote an email and she actually wrote this like really thoughtful email back. Um, basically with a list of questions that she had for us and what like our intentions were. Yeah. So, uh, Evan like did like a, like a a first pass of like answering those questions and we just kind of went back and forth on it and it was almost like creating this essay. Um, and it was really, uh, amazing in a way because it like, it really gave us time in the midst of all the craziness of like preparing all the other episodes of the show to really focus on like, what were our intentions with it and what was the story we wanted to help, you know, tell and, and what was our perspective on it. And so she had these really like smart, thoughtful questions and it was really smart for her because, um, I think, you know, she gets, she's been over the years, a lot of people have reached out about wanting to, you know, tell this story or do something about own heart story. And she, and it's, and, and I know it can be tough to really understand like where are people's intentions or how far do you go down those paths with those people before you really find out like, you know, what the true motives of it are. But, um, yeah, it just like, it really like it, it, uh, gave us like an opportunity to really like think about like, you know, how we wanted to go about telling it. And I think she like really appreciated like our perspective on it. Yeah. I was just going to say like her, her email, uh, to us was like, I think it was something like she was saying, I'm going to be traveling for the next like two or three weeks. So don't rush your response. Really take your time to answer these 10 questions. And they were extremely well thought out, um, and really thoughtful. I I also felt. And, uh, and then it was kind of like, I, I just remember, you know, Jason and I took turns, like, you know, answering these questions and really kind of delving deep and trying to figure out like what our own intentions were, like, why do we want to tell the story? Why do we feel it was important? And yeah. And then, and then like at the end of it, we realized we had like a two or three page essay that we had turned <laughs> into her. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, her response was, you know, really positive. And, um, and I think just like the next step was like, after she sort of saw where you were coming from and, you know, a little background on Jason and I and the background on the company and, and, and of course the show, cause we had already done season one and, um, that, that, you know, we felt it was, uh, the best next step was to meet. And so I actually, uh, flew out to Calgary, uh, with no cameras. It was just myself. And I went out there and, uh, I had dinner with Martha and Oge and, uh, and it, it was just a blast. Like we had like a really, <laughs> awesome time and it was like just getting to know each other and like as people and talking about you know our families and and everything and 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 i i just remember being there and then i think it was like a few hours into the meal where we started to really kind of talk about the episode and talk about the intentions and i think that there was this you know martha's talked about it since but i think there was like you know where i just laid everything out on the table and i just didn't want to hold anything back like 
here's the honest situation. Like, like if we do this episode, this is what we're going to do. And, um, I think she just really appreciated, you know, the fact that we wanted to take this story and, you know, take it head on. And, um, you know, despite anything, if there was any going to be any pushback or any consequences or anything like that, that we just wanted to tell her side of the story because we really felt like it has been marginalized or it's just not gotten out there, you know? Um, and so, yeah. And so she was on board and then, uh, right from there, we just began, you know, making the final, uh, arrangements and, um, you know, scheduling interviews and getting other folks on board for the episode. And then it just all kind of was built around that. And then, um, and then we were off to the races and we came back to Calgary and filmed with her and, and then, uh, Oge lives in London. So he flew into Toronto and we filmed him there and Martha came out for that. And it was, it was great. And so we just, just built a really tight relationship with them. And, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, but I will say that there was no, there was basically no way in hell we would have done this episode without her and her being a part of it. Um, so there was always kind of like, if this doesn't happen, we're going to have to do something else, you know? And that was one of the main things we told her is like, we're not, we're not going to tell this story without you. And, um, and that's a hundred percent true. It's really difficult to even tell this story in the time frame that you guys were given. You know, I, I think a lot of, um, I'll, maybe a lot of folks who saw season two were perhaps a little spoiled by Benoit being a two parter <laughs> because on the heels of, of that, you think, man, this Owens show, this could have been two or three episodes, but it's a real challenge, Jason. And I want you to talk to this for a bit. How do you fit the entire story inside of 45 minutes? I mean, you guys had to have a lot of meetings and strategies and a lot of thought put into how do we, cause we, as wrestling fans, everyone listening to this, they know who Owen Hart is. They have an understanding of what happened that night, but we've got to explain who Owen was, who Jim Ross is, who all of these other characters sort of telling this story are very quickly and then get to the story and then the aftermath. And you've got to do that in 40 some odd minutes this leads to some really tough decisions about what makes the the cut and what doesn't right jason yeah it, especially with this episode you know we were we have the luxury i guess you could say of seeing like you know the very first cuts of the episode when they're like when our editor like strings out kind of like the rough cut of it and you know this like you said this episode easily could have been like two or three episodes and you know, it is painful. Like they're like right up until just even like a few weeks ago, you know, there are scenes that like had to be lifted to make time for other things that are really important to get across in the story, you know, mm -hmm. and there's like, there were like these moments like where, you know, you hear so many great stories about Owen Hart and his ribs and how he was like one of the best like rivers there, there ever was. And those stories are just so endearing. And there's this, there's this great story that was in the cut that I loved about, uh, Owen in a match uh, with D'Lo Brown, and um, he ends up like un during the match, he and D'Lo is like really nervous, and D'Lo uh, gets him like in a headlock, and his, or uh, Owen gets D'Lo in a headlock, and he's like, "Hey, look at your shoes," and he looks down, and he sees that his like laces are undone, and they do another move, and he and Owen's like, "Look at the ref's shoes," and he looks over, and the ref's shoes are unlaced, and. Like, it's just, like, there's such an endearing story of, like, how, like, Owen, like, really helped ease uh, D'Lo Brown's, like, anxieties in the ring by doing, like, these little ribs uh, among, like, you know, a huge stadium filled with people with no one noticing. And it would just show, like, 
just like how like confident he is like in his own abilities but yet just so, like having so much like heart and love for like one of his peers as well too and so like there's a lot of little moments like that and then there's a lot of mo- moments as well too like during the the day of that I wish we could have included and I think um one thing I think in your podcast with JR like it's really like comes across really well is like just the 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 play by play of the day of and I wish we had more time um because there are some really fascinating details I think you know just leading up to Owen like going up into like the rafters and how you know he had to dress in in a in, in a total disguise and like walk amongst like fans like in the arena to get to the place where he had to walk up to a ladder to like get to that spot. Um, and it's just like, we, we, we like film those scenes, but you know, and the, and having to compress it down to like 45 minutes, um, it's well, just really tough to get, you know, what we need to have in there to get the, the full story across. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's like you are, you know, beholden to the show that has been ordered you know, right. by the network. Right. Um, it, it's not like, uh, you know, this is our YouTube channel. We can just be like, ah, whatever. Let's, you know, let's just do whatever we want. You know, this is what's been ordered. And, um, you know, you, every show has to be cut to the second. Every commercial break has to be, you know, exact. So um, yeah. it's all like a puzzle in a way because like it's great. Like you have like your acts. There's like six acts per episode and each one you have like a certain time limit that you have before the commercial break kicks in. So you have to work all these beats and, and all these little nuance like moments within these like act structures for television. That, yeah. You know, and where do you leave people and then where does it come back in and all that stuff? There's a whole kind of science to it. Um, but you know, when we pitched, uh, season two originally, you know, we had been working already months and months and months on the, on the Chris Benoit episode as, as we had explained on the first episode of this podcast. And so right then and there, we knew that like, if we're going to do this story, like it needs the two episodes back then when we pitched this episode, the Owen Hart, uh, episode was like had a major asterisk on it. We hadn't had any conversations with Martha Hart. We had no idea if this thing was ever going to happen. It was just a, here's a topic we could cover, you know, subject to, you know, um, getting access. So we just never knew. And then of course, like we didn't really know we were doing this episode until honestly December, you know? So, um, so basically it was just like, we were kind of fit into this box a little bit to do it in, in an hour. Um, and also Martha, um, you know, has had been working for years on a feature length documentary, um, about Owen, which she has, um, a, a social media account for, and, um, you know, she's been trying to raise financing and, you know, there is so much to tell, there's so much more to talk about with Owen and, you know, his background and, you know, everything leading up until that, his rise to fame. And, and of course there's a lot more to get into with the aftermath of the story too. And so we also didn't want to cannibalize that opportunity, you know, by being like, okay, now we're just going to do this feature length thing, you know? Um, and one thing too, because you know we always get the feedback. Should have been two hours. Like the Road Warriors should have been three hours. You know, um, and it's it's kind of like one thing that's interesting um, to look at, and it kind of helps me e- even when we're making these episodes. And sometimes when I see the finished product, I kind of think like hindsight twenty twenty. It's like I always go back to the Bruiser Brody story, 
where I feel like since that was our pilot, you know, our like original proof of concept, like that really is kind of what I feel like is like almost the the best uh, in terms of its structure yeah. where, you know, we we don't really get into the bio of a guy or of a girl or somebody, you know, like uh, uh, like of a main subject. You know, we don't tell you, you know, they were born on this day and then, you know, they won the belt on this day and, and, and those types of things. And I think anytime our show really goes into the bio side of a story, I almost feel like um, we're like giving people the impression that this is going to be that type of story when that's not really what the show is to me. Right. Um, like the show to me is looking at one specific event in the one one's one specific human event in this world and uh, how it's affected the people uh, involved and also, you know, like the blurred lines aspect of reality versus fiction. It's not necessarily meant to be, um, you know, this biography of their life. Now, that being said, there definitely is the material to do a two-episode thing on Owen, just talking about May 23rd, 1999, 100%. So it was really challenging for us. Um, knowing that, you know, this was only going to be a 45 minute thing. You know, Martha has another project that she wants to do and, you know, that's awesome. Cause I think there should be more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so yeah, for us, it was just really tricky cause there's a lot of details, a lot of stories that we couldn't fit in. Um, I mean, I remember up until the, the 11th hour, we, uh, we, we left out the part about Max mini, which is a part of the story that is. Let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and talk about that since you brought it up. I had it in my notes to bring up a little later, but this story really could have been even more tragic. And I don't think a ton of fans even know the backstory of that. Tell everybody what was originally proposed that night, Jason. Oh, originally they were going to have, um, a small person wrestler, uh, goes by max mini, um, attached to Owen up on the rafters and, and he would be descended with Owen into the ring together. And, um, I didn't know that detail, um, until I think it was your podcast. And that was just, man, just to hear that this could have been even more, more of a tragedy. It's just, uh, it just, it's, it's really, it just adds to just how scary the whole thing is. No doubt. the, The idea that, you know, there could have been twice the loss of life that night is just unbelievable but before we talk about that night let's sort of set the stage a little bit uh one of the things that i appreciated was the honesty and candor from uh, jim ross and he says Mm -hmm. you know yeah we gave owen a bigger contract and i'm not gonna lie he basically says i'm not gonna lie or bullshit you and say that had nothing to do with montreal of course it did but he brings up a great point that i really don't think a lot of fans when they look back and they say, man, after the Montreal screw job, which you guys briefly touch on in this episode, how, why would Owen stick around? Well, Owen for better or worse came to the company after Bret Hart was already established and right or wrong. He was always going to be in Brent's shadow. And now with Brett with another company, well, this is an opportunity perhaps for Owen to sort of be his own man and be Owen Hart, not Brett's little brother. And of course he gets the big new contract and and we sort of set the stage for that. But then towards the end of the show, we sort of have a nice bookend where we hear from Chris Jericho. Hey, what could have been? Yes. He may have Mm -hmm. become a little disillusioned in this crazy, more edgy adult version of wrestling. And, and maybe he sought refuge with the blue blazer character, but in just a few short years, Eddie Guerrero is going to be there. 
Chris Benoit is going to be there. Chris Jericho is going to be there. Uh, Kurt Angle is going to be there. The opportunities for Owen, I mean, through the roof, we have no idea what his career could have looked like with that version of WWE, right, Jason? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you just see, like, we tried our best to just show you a glimpse of just, like, how talented he was, how talented he was, just, like, how naturally, like, gifted he was. And, yeah, when you see that, like, you know, during that time period in the later part of his career, they weren't, like, I think, like, wrestling wasn't really, like, the wrestling aspect of wrestling, like, wasn't necessarily very celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he was, he had this gimmick with the blue blazer that was just kind of like, you know, a silly, a silly gimmick that didn't really highlight his like abilities as, you know, a wrestler. And just when you think about, you know, guys like Benoit and Jericho and Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, like being in there and I can, you could just imagine, like you can kind of like sit back and imagine like what those matches would have been like and just how like, you know, how much Owen could have like flourished like with those guys. And it just, yeah, you know, it could have, it could, it could have led to a whole different, like kind of era. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, you know, you can dream about what could have been. Um, and that's part of the, you know, sad reality of it is like, man, there was just, you know, just so much talent, like lost. I also think like Owen's style of wrestling, um, and like just the way that, you know, he moved in the ring and he, he combined these different influences from all, all over the world. I think he really was kind of setting the stage for where wrestling would go in the ring. I mean, he was so pioneering in that sort of style that we see more commonplace today um, that, you know, and, and that's another thing that, you know, Jericho talks about, too, is, is just he's so underrated in that in that way, you know, like for really, truly being this kind of hybrid of style and so versatile in terms of the different characters that he could play as well. Um, just truly one of the, one of the all time greats without question. And, you know, we sort of counter balance him as the wrestler with him as the father. And I think this episode does a great job of that. And to see and hear from his kids, especially Oge, who was a little older and he had such a vivid memory of his last conversation with his dad. Where he says, you know, hey, I, uh, you know, I want you to take care of your mom, which seems like something that a lot of dads would, you know, say to a little boy, but most of the time dad comes home and dad didn't hear. And I think a lot of wrestling fans, maybe, I don't know, in the last decade or so wondered, Hey, will Oge sort of carry on the heart wrestling family tradition? Like we've seen with mm-hmm. TJ Wilson and, and so many others. And instead he opts for a different path, uh, and, and is now a 28 year old attorney in, in the UK. So a much different path, but his perspective of saying goodbye to his dad. And then on top of that, you sprinkle in Jim Ross saying, you know, from Martha's perspective, her husband went to work in Kansas city and never came home. I think you guys did a fantastic job of combining sort of the, the in-ring wrestling persona that we fans knew and love and give us a peek behind the curtain of the family dynamic as well, which is really who Owen was most of all, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's always, that's always, um, 
you know, what we want or what we try to do with the show, right? With with a lot of these episodes, <clears throat> we're trying to kind of give you both sides of this person. Because, I mean, you know, there is something, as wrestling fans, you know, you you believe in the character so much and you love the character so much and then you start to <clears throat> really believe this is the person. It's that kind of power of celebrity type thing. Um, you know, um, and especially when you're young, as a, as a young wrestling fan, it's very impressionable. Um, and and with our show, we always just kind of want to sh- to highlight the families because, you know, in wrestling, there are a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot of consequences of of the industry. Right. And it's very difficult on families. We've known that for a while, just on the in terms of the travel schedule of of uh, of a father or a mother being gone for so long and on the road and separation from the you know, from their children and um, and also just all the injuries and and sometimes even worse. And so for us, it's like those are the interviews that we really kind of cherish the most are being able to talk to the family members who can kind of, you know, provide a whole other perspective into who this individual really was. And, you know, and that was a precedent for us that was like immediately established <clears throat> when, when we did do the Bruiser Brody episode, because, you know, you have Brody, who was just this wild man crazy persona in the ring, but was just still, you know, dad and a family man at home. And so that, that to us is always really fascinating, um, and with, with any episode, but with this, it was so key because, you know, obviously Oge hasn't really done an interview before telling his side of the story. And again, going into it, I really didn't know what to expect, but just to see like that he recalls that day so crystal clear, right. um, even being a seven or eight year old, you know, at the time and, um, and just all that, you know, uh, like all the detail. And of course the home videos, mm. got to talk about the home videos because that was another thing that, um, we feel just so, you know, thankful to Martha for allowing us to use that material because it's, it's really like, I, I, it's tough to even imagine the episode without it. It's tough to imagine how, you know, you would get that impression of this family without that footage. And um, one of the interesting things is that you really see that it's mostly Owen that's filming a lot of that stuff, too, because we we actually sifted through hours and hours and hours of this home video footage. <clears throat> and it's interesting because, I mean, Jason, something you noticed, right, about that Owen was really like well, the reason he was filming this was. Yeah, it seemed like to me like 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 there are, there are times where you see him like he'll film into like his into a mirror and he'll like either talk to himself, but it felt like it was, he was documenting all this stuff to show his children like later on in life. And, um, and you know, like I've gone through, you know, so many hours of Owen's wrestling footage and I've gone through so many hours of his like home life and his family life. And, you know, he's such an inspiring wrestler, but I got to say, he's like even more of an inspiring father. Like when you just see, like how much attention he like gave to his kids and just how he had this like very like childlike enthusiasm and um, would just like, I don't know, just like get on a level with his children in such a way that he had such a a profound impact on him um, that you could really see it today that like he lives with them like to this day. And I can only think too that like, you know, all that footage that they did like documenting it, the, the story for them hasn't, or the 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 documentation of their family <laughs> life ended uh, with Owen's death. It's like it's they've kept it going, and they're still a family, like with Owen, which is really mm-hmm. inspiring. 
let's, uh, let's move along and talk about the night. Um, one of the things that really stood out about the story that when, when Jim Ross and I covered it a year ago that I didn't know before we recorded that podcast and, and you were able to track him down is the Jimmy Corderas version of the events that night where even in his final moments, when Owen knows I'm about to die, his last thing he does is try to give a heads up to someone else and try to help them and save them and their life. And it just speaks to his character where as he's falling from the sky, he yells, look out or move or whatever it was, but he's trying to notify Jimmy Corderas I'm coming and this is not going to be good. How, uh, how emotional was that to get that story from Jimmy? And then we see a very different side of Jim Cornette in this episode where a lot of times mm-hmm. we see a very animated, you know, uh, fired up, motivated and angry Jim Cornette. <laughs> and he does that better than anybody. But when he just shows you who he really is and is very touched by something and moved by something. Jim Cornette's testimony about Owen in that moment, gosh, it just leaped off the screen. Didn't it, Evan? Yeah. I remember that moment in the interview at that, at that, I remember when he being in that room, when, when he was being emotional and there was a couple different times during that interview where he got emotional and, uh, you know, he being Jim Cornette. Um, but, um, yeah, just obviously, yeah, showing you a different side. And, you know, Jim is just so passionate and he loved Owen so much. I mean, I think, you know, from being so close with him, from managing him and everything. Um, but yeah, that that whole that whole uh aspect of the story of Owen shouting out just really goes to kind of, you know, yeah, like just like what you said, it goes to show you his character in that moment. Um, and I think one of the things too is like getting Jimmy Corderas to kind of explain that story. It's like, maybe it doesn't fully come across in the episode, but really, I mean, he was very close to being hit as well. I mean, he was very close. I mean, I think it's a matter of a foot, um, or maybe even less in terms of what could have been, you know, an even greater tragedy. And, you know, Jimmy, you know, lives with that every day, you know, and that was one thing I remember also, filming that interview with Jimmy Corderas, uh, when we did that is that this is, you know, clearly something that's on his mind on a daily basis. Uh, and he is, um, you know, I, I just remember him being just, he's still shook about it and just thinking about like, if I had moved this way differently in that one moment, how this would have changed. But he also thinks about it. He has, he harbors guilt because of that, because, you know, he, he's thinking about himself, you know, when there's somebody else, but it's this complicated thing for him that he has to live with. That's very traumatic. Um, I think there's a lot from this night because, you know, like the, like, I don't, it's, I feel bad comparing the Chris Benoit story, but just because they're these momental, this like momentous media uh, stories, like some of the bigger crossover tragedies in wrestling. Sure. But because the Owen Hart story, I think was live, in front of an audience and everyone's part of the show and we're all witness to it. I think there's something in that, that night that is still unresolved for so many folks that participated in that show. Um, and, uh, there's so much, I think that there's so much uh, PTSD, you know, I think that, that, that goes into that and witnessing that 
And and of course, I just think my heart just goes out to Jim Ross as well because, mm. like you know, here's here's a guy that's got to like you know stall on live TV, and I just can't imagine being in that position. And then of course, when you look when and when I think probably one of the more chilling aspects of the episode is when Martha explains that you know the boards in the ring. Oh. <clears throat> From Owen's fall and how the wrestlers had to go and wrestle on that mat, knowing exactly what transpired in there just about an hour before. Um, yeah, it's that, just that, so that, tragic. That piece of new information, because I mean, maybe I had read it before, but I I clearly forgotten. But the uh, maybe I just didn't have the perspective at the time that. And I, I know you and I talked before this aired, and I remembered still to this day the full Jeff Jarrett promo that we get to see a clip of here, where he's supposed to be in character talking about his match and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm coming to get you and, you know, old school wrestler stuff. And he takes his glasses off and through a a broken voice. I mean, he's, he's choked up and you see Deborah in the background too, sort of reiterating, Hey, Owen, we're praying for you. We're pulling for you. And I don't know, man, the shot that you guys got, uh, the, the photograph of the broken boards where Owen fell and the blood mm. there. Cause obviously the biggest debate that has been going for decades now and will always continue is should they have continued the show? And of course, in hindsight, everyone realizes, no, they shouldn't have. And, and a lot of folks at the moment said, no, they shouldn't have, but for whatever reason they did. But I, I never really thought about guys who he had worked with for years and years and years, 10 years plus mm. in some instances now have yeah. to go out there and wrestle in the same spot where moments before their buddy died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the broken board comment and, and revelation and the photograph, Lord, that just whew, heavy stuff. Well, I, I think also like the decision to, to, if the show should go on, I mean, you know, whether or not WWE felt like it was the right thing to do the the police should have stepped in and stopped that show immediately. I mean, that, you know, th- that should have been a decision well beyond, you know, WWE. Um, yeah. Because obviously... You, al- you, you always hear, yeah, like you said, Conrad, like those debates, like whether like it should have happened, like shouldn't it have happened or should they go along with it? Um, but yeah, it's like... I, it, it's so... Unbelievable that you know that they they would go with that along with that when, like you said, Evan, it was like a a crime, like it's a crime scene. Whether people could debate, you know, whether they should have went along with the show or Owen would have wanted the show to go on, it should have just stopped right there because it was. Well, listen, the whole (laughs) Owen would have wanted the show to go on is bullshit. Mm. I mean, let's be clear about that. I I think I think the real deal is, and, and and I know that. Boy, Twitter was rough uh, last night, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But there was a lot of heat on Kevin Dunn because <laughs> he's in Jim Ross's ear, and he's saying, you know, you got to give an update. And Jim Ross says, well, I don't have the information. And Kevin Dunn apparently said, well, he's dead, and we're back in 10, 9, and gives him a countdown. And a lot of fans really took issue with that. And I think got after Kevin Dunn a little bit and thought, Oh, you're cold and you're callous, but you have to appreciate the context of that. 
in that, and I'm not defending WWE here. I'm saying I was watching that pay-per-view live. And I don't know what the hell's going on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's supposed to be a match and it looks like we're headed there. And then there's a bunch of crowd shots and JR and Lawler are saying, Hey, there's been an accident and, uh, this is a real life situation. This is not a wrestling, uh, story, uh, or whatever. And, and then it becomes like, okay, well, what, what's happening? I mean, I think everybody wanted an update and wanted to know what was coming. And, and so just like if you were a broadcaster on behind a news desk, you have to convey that news mm-hmm. of, of what's happened. And I do think that Kevin Dunn is correct in wanting to update the audience who just knows, Hey man, something bad happened, but we don't know what we've got to hear what, what it is. And, and I appreciate that they had to convey it, but I think they, that a lot of folks online last night really took that as a way to sort of direct hate to Kevin Dunn when Kevin Dunn, in my opinion, is clearly saying, Hey, we got to let the fans know what's going on. Give them an update. What's your take on that, Evan? I mean, listen, we're going to talk about the evils of all of this uh, eventually, (laughs) but I'm saying in that very moment during a live broadcast, shouldn't you, I mean, don't you have an obligation to give some sort of update? Well, yeah. I mean, it's obviously is a very complicated situation. Um, and I think the most important thing is that it's completely unprecedented, right? right? I mean, this has never happened this I don't I don't even know if something like this has even happened out you know outside of wrestling on live television before right, um, and so by every second that's unfolding on television they're heading into uncharted territory. Yes. Um, and you know, <clears throat> it's like Jim Ross you know goes from being, you know, a play by you know he goes from being a, a wrestling commentator into being almost a war correspondent. You know, um, right. in terms of, you know something going from here's your you know uh wrestling entertainment show and now i'm 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 assuming a completely different role um i think and and then of course just the chaos that's going on backstage with production personnel wrestlers authorities perhaps you know in terms of what's unfolding and um i'm sure it's i'm sure the the lines of communication between everyone aren't crystal clear or perfect um you know and so how, and how could they be it's not like there was a fire drill for a situation like this there, it, there's no it, practice as you said there's no it's unprecedented and by the way the priority is not uh let's get the message out to the fans the priority is let's preserve a man's life and do what we can to help save him but along the way we got to remember well, Hey, there's millions of people watching this and we got to tell them what the fuck is going on. Yeah. I mean, there, we can get into that as well too, um, about the emergency personnel. Cause there's an interesting story behind that too, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, but just to be in Jim Ross's shoes in that moment, I mean, he's completely, you know, obviously he, he, uh, he didn't, he, he never would have thought in his wildest dreams that he would have to essentially go completely off script and now, you know, basically be the voice of, um, you know, something so tragic. So he's put in a really difficult position Mm -hmm. and obviously he does the best job he possibly can do. But, you know, I think it's just the, again, it's, it's such a complicated thing to pick apart because, you know, they did have, they did, uh, make the decision for the show to go on. Um, I believe that it was around 45-ish minutes from when the accident took place to when the announcement of his death, you know, happened. So, um, you know, he had to he had to go again from being this news correspondent 
back to a wrestling commentator and then, you know, come back to the fans and update people on what really happened. And it's just, uh, it's very bizarre. It's a very bizarre situation. Um, and you know, I just really feel for Jr. because obviously, you know, he's, he's known Owen for so long and known the Hart family for so long. And then, you know, to really have like, you know, less than 10 seconds to really process the loss of your, of your, of your friend and com- travel buddy and everything. And, um, it's wow. Just, uh, it's really, really, really wild, you know, crazy. Man, you think I love talking old wrestling? Well, the only thing I love more than that is helping people save money. But now thanks to SaveWithConrad.com and this podcast, I can help my fellow wrestling fans save some cash and we get to talk old wrestling along the way. Just ask Mr. Myers. He just left us a five-star review right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, he heard us talking about it here on the show, gave us a shot over at SaveWithConrad.com. Then he gave us this five-star review. Everything went well and was done ahead of schedule to make an easy purchase. Well, my man, it sounds like congratulations are in order. Congratulations on your new house. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And thanks for checking out SaveWithConrad.com. Let's keep the good news going over to Wisconsin where Mr. Hansen writes, I couldn't have asked for a better experience than the one we had working with Jimmy. He made what could have been a stressful process incredibly easy. He answered all of our questions immediately, and he got us a fantastic deal. I cannot recommend refinancing through First Family Mortgage enough. Save with Conrad to the rescue, sounds like, boys and girls. Another five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Tim. We also want to keep this good news train going. How about Utica, Mississippi? Friend of the show, Super Dave, writes, Conrad went out of his way to save me money. Congratulations, Super Dave. I saw you write on Twitter that you're going to save more than $100,000 thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Can't thank you enough for your faith and confidence. What about up in DeSoto, Missouri? Ellen would write, everyone involved in the transaction from start to finish was very helpful. Every question I had was answered five stars. And when it came to her likelihood of referring us in the future, on a scale of one to 10, she gave us a 10. Uh, And so did uh, Mr. Christopher over in Missouri. He was writing, we were able to knock seven years off of our loan. Jimmy made everything easy. Five stars. Man, there's good news coast to coast at SaveWithConrad.com. And there can be great news for you right now if you go get a quick quote. You see, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And whether you're stuck in an apartment and feel like you're a part of that lease life forever, do what some of our listeners are doing and make a decision to get out of that apartment today. Don't believe what you're seeing on TV. You don't have to put 20% down and have an 800 credit score. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of their apartments and into new homes. And they're doing it with little to no money out of pocket. And oh, by the way, all the way down to credit scores in the 500s. But here is some perhaps even better news. If you're a homeowner right now, what about a little summer vacation from house payments? You won't have to make your June or your July payment. You're done until August 1st. And come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to take advantage of these once-in-a-lifetime rates and use it to almost hit the reset button on your financial outlook. We want to help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. You know the interest is outrageous. It's eating you alive. Let's get a fresh start. Let's knock it out, show you how to skip a couple of house payments, maybe take the family on a vacation. But come August, man, we're going to get serious about getting out of debt. We're going to cut years off of your loan. We have routinely helped our listeners say five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. But in the process, we also show them how to pay their house off faster. You heard Super Dave, even saving more than a hundred thousand dollars. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. 
And man, if I can't help you save some money, I won't waste your time. Seriously, check it out. Savewithconrad.com. The reviews are in and five stars, baby. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and I should mention there's more than one way to get a hold of us. You can even talk to a live person. Just click the live chat button in the bottom right hand corner at savewithconrad.com. Or if you're old school like me, man, just give us a call and we'll even pick up the tab. It's toll free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email. It's conrad at savewithconrad.com. But if you do send me an email, be sure to include your name, especially if you have a gimmick email and your phone number. And uh, I'll hit you up, man. Let's save some money at savewithconrad.com. Ultimately though, you know, and, and I know we're going to talk more about this. The idea that Kevin Dunn has given him a countdown. I mean, it's a live broadcast. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what else he's supposed to do there, but let's do talk about, you know, the, the decision to continue the show. You know, I feel like you pointed out very correctly, Jason, that, that this is something that shouldn't have been in the hands of WWE, that the authorities should have stopped this thing. And we know that that didn't happen. Um, and Evan, you said a moment ago that perhaps there was a story about the emergency personnel. I hope that you're not going to tell us that a lot of them assumed this was part of a quote unquote wrestling storyline. Oh, well, <clears throat> you know, there were, um, I believe, you know, don't quote me because this is again from, from Martha's book, which I urge everyone to, to, to grab a copy of, uh, broken hearts. If you want a more in depth on just, I mean, she, she lays out exactly what took place, um, that entire day. Um, and it is thoroughly researched, um, and, and very, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a terrifying, but very compelling read. And there's a whole moment, you know, when, um, I, I believe that some of the emergency personnel on that were there, a lot of them, you know, were, were, were going to be used for, an angle, you know, that night. And it really was like, you know, because I think they were going to do a spot with an ambulance. I can't remember exactly who it was, but when they got back to the backstage, there wasn't this, like, they, they really, like, they weren't loading them into, you know, this ambulance and they're off to the hospital. They were waiting for more emergency responders to come to bring him to the hospital instead of using basically the, the quote unquote gimmick ones that were hired for an angle later on. And it really, I believe it was Dwayne Johnson who in that moment was basically yelling at folks being like, you got to get him out of here like now. And he's, he's talking to the guy, the emergency personnel that were, you know, um, hired to be part of a, a, an angle for later that night. And, uh, I, I believe Dwayne hopped into the ambulance and really got these guys to drive him, which wasn't something that was happening ASAP. So again, just another like head scratcher moment, um, from that night, <clears throat> The, uh, maybe the most chilling thing of this entire piece that you guys put together is that I assume it was in a garage. Martha has boxes and boxes of all the legal documents and all the court mm -hmm. proceedings. And she's hung on to all that stuff. But when she reveals, this is the clip mm -hmm. and it's a sailboat clip that just took six pounds of pressure. And, and we, a lot of us who had done a little bit of research on this knew that that was the case, but to see it in Martha's hands, my goodness, what a visual, right? Jason. Yeah. It's like literally when you see just like, like the size, like you can see photos of it, but you don't really get like a clear idea as to like the size of the clip. But when she's holding it in her hand, 
and you literally you can see like the size of it and how she's just easily able to just pull apart the mechanism with a you know just six pounds of pressure. That's just really sobering, and um, it. I know when we saw that, that was like it just hit us all like really hard. It was just so. I held it. Yeah, I I, I remember. I I held it and I took it, <clears throat> and I just. It didn't take much for me just to open it by just, you know, pulling it, pulling, not even putting that much pressure on just opening it. And it opened, you know, um, and um, and uh, yeah. And of course, when she told us that she had that and it was kind of this uncomfortable conversation of mm. like, well, if we were to show this, you know, it really um, exemplifies kind of everything, you know, when you see it. When you see it with your own eyes, and even if you don't really know a lot about rigging or you don't know a lot about, you know, like, uh, I mean, obviously, like, uh, and, and especially when you look at the other, uh, you know, uh, descending drops that Owen did with that locking carabiner, I mean, that's like a no-brainer when you have somebody locked into something like that, that, you know, that's what you use. And when I saw that, it was just, I, my jaw hit the floor. And one other little detail about that, too, that was really chilling um, and just really emotional for me was that, you know, when Martha led us down into her basement um, and we went into that closet, you know, that closet is not only home to the uh, legal documents, but also, you know, obviously and, and also the clip and all the other evidence. But in that same room, she has his luggage from that trip mm. um, that uh, still to this day remains unpacked. And is all in the back of that room. And that I remember to me was whew, really heavy. Yeah. I mean, it's that stuff that, you know, we, you know, appreciate that that lock, you know, or, or, or sailboat clip, it changed not just the course of wrestling, forget all that, but her family and her life and her kids' lives forever. And she still got it. And it's just, my goodness, it just, it, what a sight. And of course the, the reason we've heard about this clip and, and this company that the company wound up that WWE wound up using is because apparently this was a company that was doing rigging for sting and WCW allegedly. Mm -hmm. And in a little bit of nominal research I did on this, I, I saw mm -hmm. that sting didn't want to cooperate with the investigation. He just didn't want to be involved. How, how deep down the rabbit hole did you guys get with the rigging company, Jason? Um, well, I, I can't remember Evan. Um, yeah, we, well, like, no, well, do well, okay. The, just the, the, the whole nuances of the rigging company and getting involved into this story is uh, again, something that, you know, uh, was kind of a casualty of the runtime, but we, we tried to cover it as best as we could. Sure. But basically what, what happened is, um, you know, Martha goes to explain in the episode that, you know, this top, you know, triple a rigging company, you know, worked with Owen on the previous stunts that they had done. Uh, uh, I think on Sunday night heat, the one you see where he comes down and it looks more, you know, like he, you know, when he's kind of descending above the crowd and everything that we show in the episode, and the way that it went down was essentially they had made this creative decision. Uh, and, and, and then you hear from Martha that, you know, when she talks about getting his measurements, when, when, you know, you just had them and, you know, it shows you how kind of quickly this idea came together. 
to have uh, Owen descend, you know, during the pay-per-view. And they, they, they basically wanted him to spring free immediately to be able to, to uh, you know, to fight with the Godfather in that match and not have to take, you know, whatever 60, 30 to 60 seconds it would take to unlock him from, you know, the Caribbean or whatever. So they were exploring these ideas and they couldn't get Riggers to really commit to that kind of a concept, just given, I think, the the height in which we're talking about here. Um, and so the the uh, very first rigging company, the original one that uh, they hired, um, had basically told them, you know, we can do it, but here's the estimate on cost. And then they felt that that was too expensive for what they wanted to do for the stunt. So they started investigating other folks that could do the stunt. And, you know, Bobby Talbert and his crew um, essentially had assisted in part in some of the the WCW sting descents. However, during the lawsuit, when this whole thing went to trial, um, you know, the t- to the best of my knowledge, WWE couldn't find any, you know, other rigging companies or any other anyone who's in that an expert in that field to really, you know, co-sign the equipment that they were using. You know, and and Martha's team really had all of the the uh, professionals in this field to really like on her side saying this whole thing was a complete botched disaster. And when, you know, she had signed affidavits from that, um, I his name escapes me, the guy who was the original rigger, um, who was quote too expensive at the time. He, um, was basically saying that, you know, there's, it, it, it's an insult to say that this guy really helped in on the, uh, sting descents. Uh, and, and this guy being Bobby Talbert, who would be one of the main guys involved with, you know, Owen stunt, uh, during, during the over the edge pay-per-view. And so I think he had like a very small role, um, but he wasn't really the guy hands on in terms of, you know, assisting sting and doing this drop. Um, and then what happened, uh, is after the WWE had gotten approached Bobby Talbert and had, uh, you know, engaged him to do the stunt, the, um, the, the guys who had originally rigged Owen, I mean, this guy had a bad feeling about this. He was like, I don't feel good about what they're about to do and what they want to do. And he actually called the WWE back and was like, listen, like, I'll I'll do it for the price you want me to do it. And, you know, just because I have a bad feeling about this, essentially. But that but but at that point, they had already gone forward and engaged another team. Oh, man, just just continues to unravel. Um the one of the things that I didn't know, and, and again, you know, this happened so long ago, maybe I did read it somewhere along the way, but the idea that Vince called Martha and told her that, Hey, there was an accident and he fell. I can't imagine what that call must've been like, but then there's a moment when Martha is trying to explain to you guys how she got a call from the doctor and you could see she got upset for a minute and wanted to just sort of turn her head and regain her composure. She's so upset. She's trying to search for the words and you guys left it all in. And it's one of the most emotional moments. I think in the entire series between season one and season two, wouldn't you agree, Jason? Yeah, I think, um, for us, like those moments, um, especially that moment with Martha is that, um, you could just, I don't know. You just see like her bravery, like in that moment. And 
there are times in the episode and in, in the other episodes too where we we kind of linger in those moments a little bit and i i think we feel it's like really important for people to just see you know how you know how much these stories do really affect uh these people still to this day after you know all this time but i think it's inspiring for people to just see their bravery and working through those moments to continue talking about it and with martha especially in that moment you can see her take a moment you know to just to reflect on it and you know work through through her emotions and then come back like just so strong um those are yeah those are really powerful moments for us for sure yeah and i think also you know one of the things too that's inspiring about Martha and her story is, um, you know, when when she talks about even that moment, getting the news, um, and 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 that day that, that that she was faced with this decision, you know, where she sees there's one path of destruction and then there's another path, you know, into reconstruction, and I think that's just super inspiring. I think, um, and 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 the fact that you know her family has. You know, is has been able to pick up and move on in ways, and 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 really, you know, have strength in that is very inspiring and something we also wanted to highlight because, you know, she has done so much, um, you know, with the Own Heart Foundation and in her own career, and of course with Oja's career and and now Athena's, and that is just really inspiring to me. And also, you know, when she also there's that moment in the episode. <clears throat> When um, she goes to view his body, when it's finally come, you know, back uh, from the states, and she basically says that moment when you know she realizes that you know she wasn't afraid of, you know, seeing him in this way anymore because she realizes the person that she loved in life is, you know, she also can love in death, and I think that's also just a really, for me personally, yeah. a, a very, um, like, uh, inspiring words, you know, for someone who's going through some, you know, a. Uh, uh, even a small comparable loss to this. So anyway, it's to me, um, you know, that's also important to show that, you know, this, this, even, even though this is such a monumental tragedy, it, it did not destroy this family. It, it, it made them stronger in a lot of ways. And I think that's very inspiring. Let's talk about the funeral, um, animal. I think that she did interview years ago where he said there were no less than 200 limos. And a lot of people have even, equated it's almost like the passing of a president i mean there were more than a thousand folks outside and they've got a pa system obviously it's a packed house inside everyone wants to pay their respects but i think it's around this time when when martha promises a day of reckoning and of course she gets that somewhat uh, i think she sued for 35 million uh wwe offered 17 they countered back with 18 and uh it was done and and that's acknowledged that it was an $18 million settlement. And I, I think what a lot of fans may not realize is WWE recovered some of those costs from the rigging company, right? Evan, I believe so. I, I honestly, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know a ton about that, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but with that settlement, I mean, w- one of the things is that Martha, like she says in the episode, she really wanted this to go to trial. You know, she wanted I think she was probably looking at more criminal charges than she was a settlement. Um, And one thing about the settlement, too, is that, you know, a lot of that money 
you know, went to setting up the Owen Hart Foundation. And I know also a lot of it went to the Hart family as well, not just to Martha's family. Um, and, and that's something in, in terms of, you know, what, what happened in, 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 in the wake of this tragedy, but, um, yeah, just wild. Let's, uh, I guess we can't really talk about the story without at least acknowledging that I don't know how this happened, but McDivitt, the WWE's attorney, who I think most people would agree is, uh, perhaps the perfect attorney for WWE. It feels like he's gotten them out of a lot of jams and navigated some very difficult waters. And, uh, other people would probably describe him as a brilliant attorney, but perhaps he was the world's worst PR man this week. Uh, he did an interview with, uh, CBS sports and others. I think he's done something with sports illustrated and a few others, but there are some pretty pointed comments out there from him now that really caught me off guard. And yeah, there's so many sort of layers to this onion. Like, I don't know if you guys kept up with what was happening on Twitter last night, but there was a ton of folks saying, Hey, why, why didn't you guys interview the hearts? You know, wh- why was Bret Hart not participating in this? So uh, what about the rest of the Hart family? But one of the things touched on, even in the documentary is, is from Jim Cornette. He says, you have to appreciate this is a wrestling family. Everyone in this family made their living in wrestling. And here's a guy, the most powerful man in wrestling who at different points has employed a large percentage of this family's livelihood. And you now want him to sort of alienate the rest of their future opportunities, perhaps. So out of self-preservation, maybe some of the hearts weren't interested in doing that. And of course, Jerry McDivitt would say in these more recent comments that Martha was angling for, Hey, if you are on my side and we can gang up on Vince, then if there's a big settlement, you'll participate. It's such a murky thing with the Hart family and this lawsuit against Vince. I'm curious what you think the fallout of the lawsuit is. I mean, do you guys know what the status of the relation? It feels like when we read comments from Bret Hart that he's not on the best of terms with Martha. Do you know mm. what that looks like for the rest of the family's perspective, Evan? Yeah, I mean, the relationship between, um, you know, Martha and the rest of the Hart family is very, is strained. <clears throat> I think it's another one of the tragedies of the story is that, um, you know, that, that this really tore that family apart in a lot of ways. I mean, Stu and Helen, you know, um, it was, it was, it was awful for them, obviously. And I think that, you know, from Martha's point of view, and something that she's written about and talked about is that, you know, when from her perspective, when 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 the when the WWE didn't really have much of a case um, during the lawsuit that, <clears throat> you know, their influence again, yeah, with the rest of the Hart family and the fact that they have employed so many of them, you know, really kind of, I think, muddied the waters with the relationship that everyone had there. And of course, you're talking about a lot of different folks in the family and the way that they've been employed previously. And so it's a very complicated situation that you're dealing with. And I think, um, you know, for her, you know, when she's, you know, as we touched on in the episode, when members of the Hart family had actually taken her, Martha's legal, legal documents and faxed them to the defense, you know, I mean, that was, she took that as a stab in the back. That was a move against Owen, 
you know, and, and, and it, I think it's been very hard for those wounds to heal. <clears throat> I think the situation between her and Brett is, is, is more, is more complicated. It's an unfortunate thing, but you know, Martha was not against Brett being involved in this episode. It's just literally the fact that Brett didn't return any of our emails or phone calls to be in, to be a part of this episode. Um, and you know, and we've talked about it before, you know, Brett wasn't, wasn't thrilled about our episode on the Montreal screw job. So maybe that played into it. I don't know, but, um, it wasn't like, you know, these were parameters or places we couldn't go with the story. It just literally was, you know, we, we wanted to of course show that side to the story. Um, but you know, this is mostly the story of Martha and her family, you know? Um, and I think it's just a whole nother separate tragedy, uh, of what happened, um, in the rift between Owen's, you know, family and the Hart family. Yeah, it is one of the unfortunate situations here. Um, I guess we should at least ask, you know, was there any interest or, or did you guys pursue any conversations with the Hart family or Brett and participating in this documentary, or did you not feel it was necessary just based on the fact that you had, you know, folks who were there ringside and more importantly, from a family perspective, who better than perhaps his wife, son and daughter. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, again, you could only interview so many people just, just by virtue of our time and budget and everything. But, you know, uh, Brett was definitely someone that we wanted to interview for the episode, of course, to talk about, you know, his brother and coming up through the ranks and everything that's happened from beginning and middle and to the end of the tragedy. And of course, to, you know, Brett's perspective on, Owen's legacy differs from Martha's. And of course we would have loved to have included that. Um, so we did actively pursue Brett for this episode. It just, you know, we just didn't get back to us. Let's talk a little bit about the comments from Jerry (laughs) McDivitt this week. He says, Martha was not even remotely interested in finding out what happened that night. She just wanted to use it as a vehicle to beat up a business that she didn't like that her husband was in the wrestling business. And then we see in the documentary that not only did she pursue what did happen that night, but she went so far as to go to the building and go up on the catwalk, not just herself, but with her kids. I mean, Oge talks about looking over the ledge and thinking about what must've been going through his dad's mind. And this is when he's still a young boy. That does not seem like a woman who's not interested in finding out what happened that night. Would you agree, Jason? Yeah, that definitely, when we heard that story from Oge's perspective of his mom taking him to the arena to retrace, retrace his father's last steps, um, it was just, that was so powerful. And also, um, it was like, it was really interesting because, you know, I, the, the way they, she, how, like, guided her kids through like the grieving process of losing her father was really interesting. Like at first it's like kind of shocking to hear like all these kids went there and they got up there up on the the scaffolding to see it. But, um, for Oge, um, it meant a lot because, um, for him it would leave, he felt like it just, it, uh, and Martha knew this too, that if they growing up, if they had any questions about it or if they were just haunted by, you know, what their father had gone through, at least they could like see it for themselves and see it all visually and be able to process it, you know, throughout the years, 
probably in a better way than having a lot of doubt about those visuals. Um, and so the, I, I remember when Oge walked us through that, that like left such an impression on me. And um, I just knew like, man, people are going to find that aspect of it so inspiring in a way and how to deal with um, with grief over a loved one. Um, yeah, that was, uh, it was I couldn't. I couldn't believe it because that was a part of the story that I did not know um, going into this. Um, even after the anniversary articles and the podcasts from last year, I didn't know that, you know, she retraced his steps. And actually, it's kind of condensed in the episode, but she she would go back a couple of different times. Um, she went back uh, there with her attorneys <clears throat> at first to look at it and to see for herself and retrace those steps. Um, and, uh, and again, again, just horrified at the height in which we're talking about even that really, even that, that, uh, photograph that's in the show where you, where it's just that the one police photo where it's looking directly down at the ring, that's actually from the scoreboard. That's not even all the way from the rafters is it's for how high we're actually talking here. Um, and then she would go back and then there was another time where she went back to Kansas City and brought her her children there and had that moment to where she showed, you know, what were her, you know, what their their father's last moments, you know, where that took place. And um, yeah, just um, I just couldn't believe it. And uh, again, like those comments from yesterday, I mean, you know, it's 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 clearly, uh, you know, uh, very. uh <laughs> it's clearly aimed at misdirecting really from what, you know, this whole story is about and it just shows you, you know, how, um, you know, deep this goes in terms of how, um, the perspective and, and, and that's really something, you know, where obviously, you know, the WWE and the company and everything, there's such a, you know, they've kind of controlled, I feel like this narrative for such a long time, you know, and including myself as a wrestling fan who's grown up, you know, for a long time, I subscribe to the belief, uh, just based on what's been out there, that you know this is just an unfortunate freak accident. But when you really look at all the information that goes into this, and I'm not, and I'm talking about just everything leading up to, from a creative standpoint, to when this actually took place, to the aftermath, to how it was handled. You know, you see that clip of Vince McMahon, and you, and just how this was handled, and especially with Martha and everything. It's just, you know that perspective has just feeling like so suppressed. Like you would have to have really been someone that actually sought after her book, read it, and then really known that story. And, um, so I think this is an important, uh, part of, you know, wrestling history that, you know, needs to be told. And, and that was what we felt like what was important in sharing it. Well, I'm really glad that, that all of this is coming to light, you know, especially you know, we touched on it at the beginning of the episode here today, maybe the way fans viewed Martha before, you know, the last week or so, and, and maybe the way they look at her now, especially with regards to the WWE hall of fame. And I feel like, you know, JR's comment about, Hey, if a guy like me is in the hall of fame, Owen Hart should be in 10 halls of fame, uh, or mm -hmm. 10 hall of fames. And Martha's not going to let that happen. And I understand it. And I'm glad <clears throat> that she's sort of taken the stand that she has and, I'm also glad that she's recently reached a deal with pro wrestling tees. And mm -hmm. now there's mm -hmm. official Owen Hart t-shirts and merchandise for the first time in more than two decades. And it all goes to the Owen Hart foundation, which we touched on a little bit in the documentary, Jason, what can you tell us about the Owen Hart foundation and the good they're doing now? Well, 
yeah, it's, um, you know, you see a lot of, you know, people, you know, saying that uh, she should allow for the WWE to put him in the Hall of Fame and honor him in that way. But I think it's just, it's very narrow minded to just think that that's the only way to honor uh, Owen and his legacy. And, you know, there are other wrestling Hall of Fames um, and the way that they have, his family have honored his legacy is incredible. Like, I don't know of anyone or especially or any other wrestler whose life has been honored the way that uh, Martha and her family have with the Owen Hart Foundation. They have put like so many kids through school, built homes and helped, you know, single mothers. And they've done so much to continue the legacy of Owen Hart. It might not be with the WWE, but they've been doing it like so much um, elsewhere. And there's so many people who are learning about Owen Hart, like just outside of the wrestling world. Like he was, he was so much bigger than just wrestling, you know, he, he, and, and as you could see, even from that, 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 the, the funeral footage, um, from his, uh, in Calgary, like, you know, uh, the, the Hart family here in Canada, you know, are, you got the Royal family and you got the Hart family and, you know, Canada really like celebrated um, the Hart family and uh, Owen and uh, loved him. Um, and so I think it's just, it's incredible to see how like they've continued his legacy and uh, with the Owen Hart Foundation. It's, it's remarkable. You know, it's, it, they, they work on it every single day. The, um, I think the thing that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that really, uh, you know, frustrates me um, in terms of this story is, you know, because obviously, you know, we we post a ton of stuff on social media um, and I knew this was going to be uh, a hotbed, you know, when we when we started promoting this episode and, and posting photos and talking about it uh, to where you really see that there is a subsect of fans who really feel entitled um, that, you know, she should just, you know, bury the hatchet and you know, this is this is how she should grieve and this is what she should do. And, you know, uh, and 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 all this stuff. And it's so bizarre. It's such a bizarre mindset. Um, but I really think it's mostly based on ignorance, obviously, to the details of the story, which is one of the main reasons why we wanted to do it. But the other thing that to me is I feel that there's a there's a narrative. And now we're clearly seeing that it's a narrative that's being perpetuated by the WWE. We just, you know, with with Jerry McDivitt's uh, comments from a few days ago, which is this idea that, you know, this is kind of the fake news aspect of the story, if you will, is that, you know, Martha is is not the type of like she's being painted as a person who wants to bury his wrestling legacy, you know, and, and that's the part of it that people are holding on to that. And, and, and even Brett kind of a little bit like has subscribed to that too, which, um, is not the case, you know, um, it's just that. And I think Jim Cornette puts it perfectly in the episode where he says that, you know, Martha just does not want the company that she feels is responsible for her husband's death to continue to profit off his name. And I think that that is a pretty clear cut, simple thing to understand, you know, but I think for a lot of people and myself included, you know, going into this story before last year, you know, I may have thought I may have entertained that because I didn't really know that, you know, this isn't just a freak accident. There's something much more here, you know, and so which is very provable. And it was provable in a court of law at the time or not in a court of law because it was a settlement. But you know what I mean? Like there's enough evidence there to make t to like deduce that. 
And I think that it's just really unfair for fans to feel like, um, and this is my personal opinion, you know, to feel like, you know, she should do, you know, this for, you know, with the WWE or that or, you know, I, I think it's, it's completely Martha's decision. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of ludicrous to expect that she should do, uh, she should go against what her, uh, strongest, uh, um, you know, feeling has been this whole, you know, like from the very beginning, you know? Um, so yeah, seeing those comments is definitely, it definitely irks me on on a personal level. Yeah. Especially when you talk about the Brett thing, you know, and obviously I know that every family has, you know, their ups and downs, but it always happens behind closed doors, but now it's sort of more in public and in the CBS story, uh, Martha was quoted as saying at the end of it all, I've forgiven them all. Really the Hart family, Vince McMahon, I don't hold any grudges. I hope life has been kind to all of them. Mm-hmm. My life hasn't been easy, but I certainly wouldn't wish harm on them. And mm-hmm. about the relationship with the family, she says, I don't have a relationship with the rest of the Hart family. That said, if I see them on the street or at an event, I'm always polite. I tell my kids to be polite and respectful, but the problem is once you break the trust in a relationship, I'm really sad that they couldn't find the strength to support me. It's unfortunate that they put their own self-interest above the welfare of me and my kids and getting justice for Owen but it can't be changed. So it is what it is. And, mm-hmm. um, it's a shame because, you know, you feel like, man, how could this be any worse? And then to know, well, then, then there's no family support either. I mean, so Oge and, and, and his sister, of course, grew up without some of the closeness that a lot of the other heart family children would have enjoyed. And that to me, it, it, while it's not touched on a ton in the documentary for the sake of time and, and everything else is almost like the worst, you know, epilogue ever to the whole story. Mm. But yeah, the, uh, the, now that we're on the, the, we're wrapping it up here. Uh, season two is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the finale, uh, before we talk about the rumor and innuendo about what might be next. I do want to bring up what was the talk of Twitter last night. And a lot of people were saying Vince is evil. Vince is scum. Vince is shit, whatever. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people were sort of high-fiving you guys for not being quote unquote scared of Vince McMahon. And and a lot of folks in wrestling, uh, don't want to come out and say something too pointed about Vince McMahon for fear of self-preservation. But obviously you guys don't have any sort of delusions of wanting to work with WWE, but you guys have been applauded for sort of taking Vince to task. And even in the episode that we saw last night, there's a clip of Vince at a press conference saying, I resent your tone lady. And, and that comes off really rough. And some defenders Mm -hmm. of Vince would argue, well, that was taken out of context. I'm curious, Evan, after you've done two seasons of this now, what do you think of Vince McMahon? Do you think he is some evil person? Are there shades of gray? Uh, I mean, obviously this is a tough spot he's in when, as you said earlier, this is an unprecedented moment. Nobody knows exactly what to do. Clearly with the benefit of hindsight, everyone agrees. Well, that was a fucking mistake to continue the show. But then in the CBS article, you know, we see a quote from Jerry that says Vince told her right there. Look, Martha, I feel so bad for what happened. I feel responsible Mm -hmm. because this happened on my watch. I want to take care of you and your family. I loved Owen. He was almost crying and we offered $17 million to take care of her. How many times does a CEO walk in a room and say he feels responsible? 
I'm not going to argue quote. I just feel responsible for what happened. And then they turn it down. And of course we know that they wound up settling for a million extra dollars the next day, 18 million. But McDivitt is saying, Hey, Vince took this on the chin and owned it and said, Hey, I fucked up. I take responsibility. And this obviously was an accident. No one would have ever intentionally caused Owen to lose his life. But right. The perception of Vince through your series is not always, uh, the best look for Vince. How, where do you land on Vince, Evan? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly complicated. I mean, it's hard to deny, I think, you know, when you're looking back, you know, in, in history with all these different stories that we've covered there, there is kind of a tangible callousness, I think that is there, you know, in terms of a guy who's excuse the pun wrestling with the idea of, you know, being a businessman, you know, a very successful businessman, a guy who's taken an industry from, you know, small, you know, VFW bingo halls, you know, across the country to <clears throat> the mainstream global entertainment, you know, phenomenon that it's been. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, respect that goes into that. But I mean, there's hard to deny some decisions that have been made over the course of the years that, you know, here and there. I mean, I, I obviously grew up as a fan of the WWE's product and still am in some ways. Um, but you know, it, 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 there is a complicated past. And I think that, you know, um, uh, you, you know, you, you can't, it's hard to not touch on some of that, you know, when you're doing a show that's called dark side of the ring. Um, but you know, to me, the ultimate goal would be in some way in some day, I don't know if it's ever going to be a possibility, but would be like, you know, let's let's do the interview with Vince, you know, <laughs> let's, let's do the Vince McMahon episode. I would do it in a heartbeat, you know, absolutely. Jason, what about you? What do you think is, is Vince this evil person that, that people on Twitter are saying he is, do you see there's more shades of gray? It's more complicated than that. Where do you land on Vince? Yeah, I, I, I I'm pretty much on like the same page as Evan. Um, it's, there was never any aspect of the show where we, you know, we're setting out to, um, you know, highlight, you know, Vince's, you know, uh, darker moments. But, um, you know, we, you know, there's like, um, growing up, like, you know, as like such a huge fan of wrestling and even, even Vince himself as like an entertainer is, uh, <laughs> you can't deny is unbelievable. Just like his own performances as well. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you struggle a little bit just with, you know, there's a part of you that like has admired what he's done, like in the film, in the, in the business, um, and as an entertainer, but, uh, there are these aspects, uh, to his life and decisions that he has made that, you know, that has made me, uh, I guess, I don't know. I, 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 I don't necessarily dwell on like how I feel about him necessarily. It's just, he's just a part of all these stories and all these stories that we really want to tell. He's like a really big aspect. Of, uh, yeah. Uh, of it's kind of, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but it's, I, I, I think it's also kind of like, it's interesting that he just, it always come kind of comes back to him in some way. Even when we set out to do an episode, like, you know, I, I was thinking like, I think he's almost in every episode of the show <laughs> this season. And it's not necessarily by, um, you know, a conscious decision. It's like, even like, okay, we're doing an episode about Herb Abrams and the UWF. 
But all of a sudden, you know, Vince somehow is in the picture, right. you know, um, and it just kind of all goes back to Vince. I mean, he is he is wrestling, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we all may think that Hulk Hogan is the, you know, Mount Rushmore guy at the end of the day. But it's really Vince McMahon. You know, I mean, he's really the guy that is the center point of all of this you know without vince mcmahon we probably won't be wouldn't be talking about wrestling today uh or it wouldn't nearly be what it is today you know so you know he is the person uh, that that no matter if anything controversial happens or if anything major happens he's the person that everyone associates he's the name he's the decision maker he's the big you know force behind this so it no matter in any time when you tell a wrestling story in some way or another vince is going to pop up you know and um you know, but I think the true story, the true story of Vince McMahon, his, you know, coming up into this business, coming through to everything that he's ever seen, you know, that would be the most fascinating, uh, you know, uh, 20 part documentary series that, you know, could would probably ever exist, you know, in terms of every every story in this landscape that he's touched and every family and every um you know re, you know every wrestler and their career and their trajectory this guy has had a power of influence over a ton of people and um is responsible for a lot and um yeah so it's a it's a compelling story but there's no way to really dive into the world of wrestling without especially the controversial side without you know him to be interwoven throughout it just by the nature of the of the stories yeah, I mean, just because, as you said, I mean, he has been sort of the puppeteer for wrestling for so long, uh, and and it's important to remind everyone listening to this that real life is not wrestling. I know, I know that sounds silly, but no one is a is a quote unquote baby face or a quote unquote heel in real life. Right? There, there are positives and negatives with every personality and every person that's ever walked Earth, and uh, Vince is one of those guys where. There are a lot of good things I'm sure that Vince McMahon has done, but this is not called the, the good side of the ring. This is the dark <laughs> side of the ring. And so we're going to gravitate towards the negative things that have happened. And right. There's the old phrase, the buck stops here. Well, he's sort of the Roger Goodell, if you will, of the NFL. And you know, look mm -hmm. at, I look at how many players are former players in the NFL are suffering from CTE and will continue to, I mean, it's going to be unanimous one day that, you know, more than 90% of those players wind up with it. It's just the nature of that business and the beast. And I think a lot of that sort of rests on the shoulders of Vince McMahon from a WWE side, because I mean, when we talk about a hall of fame, I think the most legitimate wrestling hall of fame is the wrestling observer hall of fame. And of course my buddy, Bruce Pritchard would probably take issue with that, but <laughs> that, that, that is more than just one guy saying, Hey, he's in or he's out. Um, there's more of, uh, I don't know the, the, the more realistic approach where you're asking former wrestlers and journalists and, and experts and things like that, their opinion, but for right or wrong, Vince McMahon, for as long as I can remember, has sort of been the purveyor of wrestling history. So he's going to exactly. be a critical part of all these stories because all of that sort of lands on his shoulders. But I do think that the, the big takeaway from this last night, especially as I scroll through Twitter, which is overwhelming anger at events about, oh, he's terrible and he's this and he's that, but that's sort of the nature of the show. And I feel like I'm saying all that to say, you're probably not going to get a Christmas card from Vince this year, Jason. Would you agree? <laughs> I guess not. Um, but like I said, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for, 
you know the the to, to you know for for the Vince McMahon uh, you know episode uh, or the or the or the Vince McMahon docu series uh, you know absolutely you know would, would be would be would be fascinated to talk to him and to get his side of the story. Have you guys any had, of these stories? Have you guys had any pushback from WWE? Like, have they sent you any cease and desist letters or any sort of negative uh, anything like that that you know of? No, not that I know of. No. What, what can we expect, Jason? Are you guys hoping to do a season three? And if so, what topics might you want to cover? Um, well, it's hard to say as we always say in a lot of ways, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard. I don't know, um, what's going to happen with a season three yet. Um, it's something Evan and I have talked a lot about. We've have, you know, there's, there's, you know, you could easily do a season three. There are a lot of other stories that we would love to tell. Um, but at the same time too, I think, you know, we've just made, uh, 16 like documentaries and like, you know, we put so much into every, each and every one of these episodes. It's like one of our babies. And, um, you know, we put so much into it and it takes a lot out of us to like do it. Um, and so I'm like, I don't know, I don't know where, what like what lies for season three, but I'm so proud of the work that we've done on season one and season two. And then. You know, just even last night was kind of like the first time like I felt like I could just like have a really clear, I don't know, like perspective or just like I felt like I could just take a weight, a huge weight lifted off my shoulders with the, you know, the season finale happening um, because it's literally from the announcement, even before the announcement of season two, we have like worked on this show like every single day and it has consumed our, you know, our lives 24 seven. Um and so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with the season three and what um, what Vice thinks of the show. And um, but uh, you never know. But if this was it, like I'm also really proud of what we've done. Yeah, it kind of feels like this is. Last night was kind of the first um, the first time in three years I feel like I was able to like exhale a little bit. You know, in terms of uh, it's just been like kind of nonstop for us uh, in a lot of ways. Um, is that and, bitter, is uh, that bittersweet what's where that? on the one hand you feel like, man, I'm so glad that these came off and I'm so proud of what we did and, and I, I've got some of this pressure off of me, but at the same time, is it also like, okay, it was a lot of work, but I was really having fun and I wish I could do more. Is it bittersweet <laughs> like that? Well, I mean, look, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a tough show to make honestly, in a lot of ways. And it's taken a lot out of us. Um, it's, it's a lot of travel, uh, in a very, very, very short amount of time. And, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of concessions that have to be made on the fly and, you know, you have to, you know, earn the trust of a lot of folks in a short amount of time. Cause you have a schedule you're beholden to. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very complicated in terms of, you know, I mean, at, at any time we're working on a season, we're working on all the episodes at the same exact time. There's no time where we're like, okay, we do one and we do the next one. We, you know, and so for us, it's just been this mad dash almost since 2017. I feel like, um, where it's just literally, you know, as soon as season one was done airing, we were out the door to do season two. So, you know, if a season three happens, which I'm not saying it's not, or, you know, whatever, um, obviously there's this global crisis going on right now. So I, I don't even know when the soonest that we can actually safely get on, uh, this amount of airplanes and go into a certain amount of people's homes and interview them and, you know, g- uh, go into a studio and shoot reenactments and everything. So who knows, maybe, um, 
this this time that we you know where everyone's the whole world's on pause. Maybe will give us that time to rest up and uh, to go, uh, you know, to, to to go march into another season. I mean, there is there's no shortage of stories. That that that's the one thing. I mean, you know, um, there, there there's tons of different areas to explore uh, in wrestling. Um, and you know, we would love to, I mean, it's a huge part of our lives. It always has been. And doing this show has been a dream too, you know, because even though it is dark side of the ring and we are exploring these tragic stories and the, the darker side of the business, you know, there's still a love that Jason and I have for the business. I mean, oh. every single day we're passing, you know, by when like someone on social media posts a rad rare photo or, you know, when, you know, we get the hankering to order some Hasbro's on eBay or whatever, you know, like that, that's stuff that we do all the time. And so, you know, we, we, we definitely have our love and passion for the industry and, you know, we, we, we want that to continue and to grow and who knows, maybe it'll turn into something completely different. Uh, it'll be another wrestling related project that from us that, uh, you know, yeah, that's you know. like something we like like when we got into this, like into the show, like we were just obsessed with wanting to just do so, like tell us like these stories in the wrestling world. And at first, like we really wanted we thought it would be like a narrative scripted series, you know, like something like The Sopranos, like meets Boogie Nights, but in the world of like world class world class championship wrestling or or like during that era. And like when we tried to like pitch that like that show to Hollywood, it just would literally just go over everyone's heads. And, yeah, you know, but we were just so obsessed with all the research we had been doing and just like we really felt like we needed to like find an outlet for it. And so when we were able to convince Vice to do the show, it has been this kind of like, yeah, like a dream come true in a lot of ways because we just get to like, you know, hear from a lot of people we grew up loving and hearing, you know, the, the this like perspective that we've never heard before. And like, um, it's just, it's like, it's, it's, it's addicting. And, 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 and we got to say too, like Conrad, like, like when we got into this, like, and what was it? 2016 or 2017, like your show, like something to wrestle with was like such a huge inspiration mm-hmm. in a way. And, and, and especially because like, it just, it like for us, like it, I think, it showed like, oh, there's like, there's other people out there like yourself that like have the same like fasc- fascination and a desire to like seek out these stories, you know, and, and just the audience that you were gathering showed us like, oh, there's an audience for this too. Like there, there are people who are really fascinated and know, and, and want to know these like stories and the way that you went about like telling them and, and doing your interviews mm-hmm. um, really like you do it in such a way that just pulls these stories out of your subjects that like you could just sit there and we would like when we were on the road, like we would just listen to your podcast <laughs> we did. and we'd be traveling like, you know, hours and hours just on the road. And like, you could sit back and really like visualize it. Like, I just felt like the way you guys got the stories out, like I could just vision it. Like it was playing all out like a movie, like in my head. Um, and that was, really inspiring so i gotta thank you like so much for that no man listen it's a mutual admiration society i'll never forget when you uh you guys invited bruce and i to uh the vice hq there in new york to screen (laughs) the bruiser brody episode before it was finalized of course but my gosh i'd never seen anything like it and i'm so excited that we got to see two seasons of it and i hope this isn't the end and i hope that you know, you guys continue to create content like this and I hope there is a season three, but Evan, if this is it, 
do you want to give some uh, special thanks and shout outs to some of the unsung heroes behind the scenes? I mean, we're talking to you and Jason every week, but this is not a two man <clears throat> oh, show. Yeah. There's a huge cast and crew that you guys really relied on a lot here that I'm sure you'd like to give a little props to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, there's been tons of folks that have worked across, you know, just season two or, or both seasons. Um, and you know, uh, that, that have helped to make this show possible. Um, for sure. Uh, you know, uh, we've mentioned him a few times on the show. Alex McIntosh was our series producer, uh, for season two. And, and, you know, he, he helped, he held us together. <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways, and, um, you know, that, and, and you know, cause we were just spread so thin and, and, um, are wound so tight sometimes, you know, in terms of trying to get the show done. I think he really, uh, really helped balance the needs of delivering this show while also trying to preserve our creative vision. And, um, yeah, I can't thank him enough. Um, Howard Sheffman, who is on this podcast, <laughs> uh, Howard's been with us since season one and, an incredible researcher, incredible mind, um, and passion for the business, passion for the show. He's someone we know we can rely on all the time, and he's he's put so much into uh, this show from season one and season two. Um, Jessica Joy Wise um, was another uh, story producer along with Howard on this season, and she did an incredible job, worked on the other half of the episodes that Howard did not, and uh, they they both did a fantastic job in terms of research and putting this together for us in a lot of ways. Um, our editors, I mean, you know, um, <clears throat> Jason Cook, who edited um, the Chris Benoit episode along with the Owen Hart episode, um, you know, he was a vital part of it. Um, Jason, who else we got? We got uh, Clark Masters, who was our editor on the Dino Bravo episode and the New Jack episode and the Road Warriors episode. We got Emily Wilson, who edited the Brawl for All and mm-hmm. uh, the Snooka story and the David Schultz story. Um, we've got, uh, Andy Appel, who is our cinematographer on the show, um, who was such a, an incredible collaborator. Yeah. Yeah. So much to it. Yeah. Andy, Andy was, Andy was like, uh, was so great to work with. And, uh, Andy, um, he, he, he came aboard season two kind of not in the middle of it, but like, I think one quarter of the way through it. And he just did such an amazing job and, 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 you know, grew up as a fan and, and, uh, you know, he really got into the trenches with us on this show and, um, you know, and always bringing new ideas, which is so cool. And I remember he, he showing up to the reenactment sets, like, you know, with a suitcase full of like gems, you know, and we started yeah. filming, filming through gems and diamonds and bringing really cool, interesting new visual looks to the reenactments this season, which, uh, which is awesome. So Andy, Andy, uh, is amazing. Yeah. And our camera assistant, Dan Tamazan, who, uh, he, uh, Tamizian, Jason, yeah. Sorry, yeah, he uh, he brought so much to it too, and Adam Burke, our sound recordist, uh, uh, who was on the road with us the, the whole time. Uh, we got Mike Schultz, our uh, story editor, on uh, the the Benoit episode and the David Schultz episode. Um, Jeff Sturge was another Jeff, story editor. Jeff Sturge, um, yeah, uh, uh, Andrew Gordon McPherson and Wade McNeil, who did all the music for us. And, you know, the music is such a huge part of our show and those guys, um, I, I just owe them so much to it because we just had such big aspirations for the music 
for the sh- for the seasons, and they just over delivered for us and brought so much passion t- uh, to it. And uh, they just they they threw their lives into it as well. So big ups yeah. to that. Oh, so they, cool. they and just for the record, they uh, composed 159 uh, different cues and tracks, like songs for this entire two seasons, mm. um, which is now. Um, going to be immortalized in a new, brand new soundtrack release, which we're doing with Waxworks Records. Um, and it, it's actually going to be a release on a deluxe 180 gram two vinyl set that you can produce, uh, sorry, that you can pre order now on waxworksrecords.com. And it's also uh, the soundtrack, the best of their 159 cues, <laughs> is available to stream right now on Apple Music and Spotify or wherever else you listen to music. Um, and yeah, those guys, uh, we owe them the world. And um, yeah, it's, it's like w- without their music, I think our show just becomes a regular talking head documentary show. It was remarkable, and I hope this isn't the end. Uh, but if it is, Evan, what's next for you? Uh, you know, we uh, we common folk who go clock in and clock out at our boring mortgage job every day. We uh, <laughs> we don't know how you fancy Hollywood types uh, go job to job or, or project to project. Tell us what we could expect from you in the future if you have anything cooking, or what's next for you. Well, you know, Jason and I work pretty closely together and, you know, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of different, you know, uh, projects and documentary stuff, but also some feature length, uh, scripted things that we'd love to get made that we've, that, that we've wanted to do for a long time. Um, and of course, you know, this show, I mean, we're not saying no to, uh, season three, of course, that is still a very, very, very big possibility. Um, you know, uh, but one thing I did want to say when we were talking about, um, uh, you know, when we were talking about wanting to do a scripted version of this show, you know, um, when, when we were pitching that to Hollywood, you know, three or four years ago and just seeing that, how this went over all the executives heads, there was no appreciation for wrestling. And it's kind of felt like dark side of the ring has been this big crusade, um, to prove to network executives, to entertainment industry folks, uh, that, you know, wrestling can not only just draw an audience, I mean, that's been proven for a long time, but that wrestling is a breeding ground of fascinating human stories, no matter what, you know, dark or otherwise. And I feel like this whole journey for us over the last three years has been to prove that, whether it's to, to those people I was talking about or to Vice itself or to anyone. And so for us, it's like, you know, there, are, there have been some scripted projects of wild and insane stories we've heard on this journey that we would love to turn into a TV show or love to turn into another movie or into something else, you know? And so, you know, I wouldn't, you know, so there is a possibility for that, you know, because after doing the show for so long, I mean, yeah, you know, we've, we've kind of, we've kind of hit on this formula for it, but I feel like there's so many other ways that we can, you know, kind of expand upon, if you will, uh, this world. Cause I think there's even more left to, uh, dig into and more nuance. Um, so that's also a possibility. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold that out either. Well, tell everybody how we can keep up with, uh, what's going on with you guys for what's next. Uh, I know I, I, I tried to throw the, uh, the handle pitch to Jason once and he fumbled. So I'll go back to Evan here, Evan. <laughs> what, are, what are your and Jason's handles? We know, we know what the dark side ones are, but so we can keep up with what you guys are doing when the season two is sort of in the rear view mirror. 
Uh, what are the handles for you guys? All right. Um, so you can keep up with Jason um, on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Eisner. And it's very important that you spell his last name correctly because nobody really does. It's uh, <laughs> E-I-S-E-N-E-R for the Eisner. So Jace, at Jason Eisner uh, for both uh, Instagram and Twitter. And I'm at Evan Husney, uh, H-U-S-N-E-Y. And please don't spell my name E-V-E-N because that's I can't believe people think my name is even, but some pe- <laughs> most people do in the Starbucks line. And Paul Bunyan, too, when I was a kid, called me even, and it made me very upset. Um, okay, so at Evan Husney for Twitter and Instagram. And, yeah, fo- follow us. Um, and now that season two is in the rearview mirror, um, uh, we are going to be – unloading some more behind the scenes moments hopefully some more clips from the show that didn't make air and some other things and of course hopefully other opportunities like the soundtrack and other merchandise will be uh hitting and you know hopefully we can just grow this thing and um and uh yeah and always send us your ideas you know we're never going to turn down hearing uh season three ideas i'm sure we'll do a big social media post i actually want to try and figure out a way um if there is a season three I kind of want to figure out a way to put out like let's do a big poll. Like I want to find the right like web software, you know that because I, I I don't want to like literally last year I I counted every single suggestion that people sent in, which is absurd. So I want to try and find some way where like everyone can meet at one website and vote for you know, what topics they would actually like to see in a season three, because that really helped us going into season two. And um, if we do do a season three with Vice, um, we'd love to make sure that, you know, we uh, at least for a handful of the episodes or majority of them show you what you guys really want to see. Well, I'm excited. I hope that there is a season three. I know I've emailed you both my, uh, my fantasy wish list of great list, by the way, great list. I hope that we can do this. And I even read something last week that I thought was so absurd that I, I called Evan. I never call Evan. I text Evan and I called him <laughs> and said, dude, if you do a season three, you got to do this. And I don't want to give a spoiler because maybe season three won't even happen, but I hope it does because this has just been so much fun. And by the way, uh, we have had some requests. Hey, are you guys going to do a podcast about season one? And, uh, I guess I should give a peek behind the curtain. The guys and I have agreed that if there is a season three, uh, to sort of get us ramped up and in the mood for that season three, the weeks leading up to, uh, season three, we'll go ahead and push out recaps and, and discussions about season one. So stay tuned. <laughs> if dark side of the ring comes back for season three, dark side of the pot will be right there. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys uh, allowing us the opportunity to do this and doing it every single week like this. Yep. I know that for uh, today, maybe is different. But every other time we've talked, you guys were like, okay, we got to go. We got to go work on the next week. And so it was a lot of pressure (laughs) every week. And I appreciate you taking the time and doing it with me every week. Oh, thank you so much, Conrad. It's been amazing. Thanks for taking the time to do this with us. It's, you know, it means a lot for us to be able to kind of, you know, like just kind of talk about these episodes um, after, you know, they've aired and just kind of, you know, get everything off our chest about them too. So I really appreciate you uh, doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, uh, you know, because when you send something out into the world, you know, it's like you, you, you like every time I've ever emailed somebody a link to the episode, like before it's aired or like shown it to people or screened it for people. I always am the guy that stands up and like gives like the 10 caveats, you know, before you actually sit down and watch it. 
So it's really nerve wracking for us to kind of send this out into the world and know how many people are watching without being able to have that opportunity of like, <laughs> you know, being able to say all the things that you want to say in context and before or after people watch it. And so having this opportunity to do that um, has been has been awesome. And um, to be able to dive into the show and tell all the wacky, weird stories that we've come across um, and in this in this wild journey. And especially now that it's something I'll be able to remember. So now when I forget all of this, you know, five to ten years from now, I can go back and we can listen to these episodes and I can reminisce about all of the things that we've that, that we've seen. I do want to briefly mention before we wrap things up that, um, well, I would say we, but specifically me, I was pretty hard on, uh, the after show with Chris Gethard uh, after the Snuka episode. And I realized, you know, this, this has been a weird time for all of us this year with the pandemic and things are way different. So instead of it being a studio show, it was more of a, a zoom show, like all of our news and everything else is right now. But that show in particular, I just thought was I don't, not good. And I was pretty vocal about it here on the show. I do want to say that I stockpiled all of those episodes since, and I watched them this week and it is a much, much better show. So if you sort of gave up on, uh, the after show with Chris Gethard, go take a look at it. There are going to be some replays here and there, and I would encourage you to go pick them up, uh, go out of your way to see them. There, there's a lot of deleted clips that you wouldn't have normally seen through the course of the episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were, uh, unfair, <laughs> M- maybe at the same time, it was just. It was bad timing. They're trying to make chicken salad a little bit and they were trying to do it right after now with the delay, instead of it airing right after the show. And instead now they've given themselves a week to put it together. I think it is a, a, a very nice companion piece. And if I was negative about that, I want to let everybody listening who sort of maybe agreed with me and maybe gave up on it. Go take another look. It's worth another look. All those episodes sort of post snooker when they switched from airing right after to a week later, much improved. And I'm sure you guys agree. Oh yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's been really cool, um, to see, um, you know, some, some cool faces on there as well. I mean, the, uh, David Schultz one I thought was really entertaining, uh, getting uh, Dutch Mantel, our old buddy, uh, on there, Ricky Morton and, uh, having them talk about, um, the business back in those days was really cool. Um, I also, uh, have seen the Owen one that's going to be next week. <clears throat> and there's a fellow on there that, would have been really cool for us to interview for the episode. He was a journalist that was actually there, uh, the night of, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys had, it was, it was a bold thing to put that show together at the last minute. They had this idea literally weeks before, um, we were uh, going to, uh, premiere the Chris Benoit episode. And so they really put this thing together last minute. Uh, you know, we were unfortunately too busy with dark side of the ring and delivering the final episodes to really, to really be involved in that show, um, or to, you know, even appear on it. So it was, it was, um, you know, so, it, you know, for them, it was just wanting to deliver more content and wanting to be able to, to kind of do what we do here and expand upon the episodes. It's just, you know, they had a lot of limitations in terms of what they could do, uh, in time and everything. But, you know, I, I, I have to agree with you that, um, in, in, in the last handful of episodes that I've seen, I, I feel like they've, they've been uh they they've definitely been doing a good job yeah much improved go check it out if you haven't already and uh, be sure to follow these guys on twitter i can't wait to see what's next and we appreciate you guys tuning in uh, every single week and keeping up with us and we're going to keep this momentum going hopefully for season three and uh (laughs) be sure to follow their official dark side of the ring accounts evan do you want to run those down one last time so if there is an update they'll know when and where to find it 
Oh yeah, uh, that is at Dark Side of Ring on Twitter and at Dark Side of the Ring on Instagram. And uh, give us a follow. We got more things to share from season one, even and season two. Um, things like the soundtrack that's that's coming out, um, and we're doing a whole new line of Dark Side of the Ring uh, shirts that we're going to be doing with Pro Wrestling Tees. We just got started doing that, um, so you can get the Dark Side of the Ring shirt. Uh, hoodie which I'm going to be wearing and a few other things um, and as well and then we're going to be doing other partnerships with, with other families to do other shirts um, to give back uh, for uh, basically uh, allowing us to uh, tell their stories and to have them and and for letting us uh, collaborate with them so uh, that uh, stay tuned for all those cool things that we're going to be dropping and announcing from here on out and thank you guys for uh, checking us out here every single week on Grillin' JR. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. And be sure to tune in next week uh, for more. Or actually, tomorrow. I forget, man. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We've got another great Grillin' JR tomorrow. And then in eight days, we'll be back again every single Thursday here on Westwood One. And hopefully soon, you'll have a little surprise on a Wednesday. Dark Side of the Pod coming back. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Talk to you soon. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. What made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Uh, I was looking um, to buy my my mother's house, and I was dealing with some local, you know, banks and mortgage companies, and I was just shopping around. And I I do listen to all of the podcasts, and uh, you know, I constantly hear it. So I I figured, you know, let me see what these guys have to to offer. Now, uh, working with Derek, um, what was your favorite part about working with him? Uh, he, it was like he was around the corner. You know, if I if I needed something and I called him or I texted him or sent an email, I would get a response like I was dealing with someone across town, not, you know, from New Jersey to Alabama. How much money were we able to save you? You know, we definitely saved thousands of dollars, you know, going with, um, you know, Conrad and, and Derek, you know, helping us out from what I was dealing with, with, uh, you know, what I was hearing from other mortgage companies, they, you know first family was able to get us a better deal on the house. Would you recommend us to a friend or a co-worker? Absolutely would recommend you guys in a heartbeat. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. At SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? Yeah, how many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.